Hello guys, welcome to the latest edition of Sport and Life. I've got a distinguished guest who branches sport, obviously life, he's, he's definitely very much alive and he's a distinguished business person as well. Very busy person I have to say because not only is he the chairman of Gloucester Rugby, he's also the chairman of the Cheltenham Racecourse, which is, I guess, at the, the heart, both aspects of this part of the world. We're meeting in the uh, Frog Mill pub in Andoversford, just outside Cheltenham. It's Martin St. Quinton. Martin, thank you. I do appreciate your time, because evidently you're a very busy, very busy man with those, those two jobs in particular and the rest of your, your interests. Yeah, it's kind of you. I'm always happy to, to speak to you, but I, you know, I am busy, but you can always, you know, always in the plenty of hours in the day to fit in important appointments. Yeah, you're really good as well because you did it on the phone. We tried to work out a time when our diaries would collide and you sort of, at one point, I think we'd agree for Friday and you realised you had to be going to Manchester for the opening game of the season for Gloucester Rugby against uh, Sale. Um, but it, I suppose that is it. Is it juggling the two? Is just it's good planning? Is that the key? Yeah, it's, um, it is. I mean, it's, it, it's funny because, of course, June, July, August and sort of September normally are relatively quiet months. Uh, both Cheltenham race, race Course and Gloucester Rugby have our winter sports mm. and so it does get a bit congested the diary gets a bit congested <laughs> in the, like like now Gloucester had our first game of the season last Saturday Cheltenham races the first meeting this coming Friday and Saturday the Gloucester play again this coming Saturday so yeah this time of year is a bit crazy but uh, it all works out how do you do it on Saturday then you try to be at both or, or is it a bit of both yeah it's a tricky one when if Gloucester are at home it's, it, sometimes it's not too bad because the first race at Cheltenham can be really quite early and once the clocks go back we have our first race at uh, sometimes half past twelve, so it's possible to do to be at Cheltenham, look after the the trainers and the owners, and make sure everybody's there and the guests, and in, introduce and welcome everybody, and have lunch and watch the first three or four races, and still get to Gloucester for a three o'clock kickoff. Mm. Um, but uh, the, the dream ticket for me is is what's happening in November, where we've got Cheltenham races on the Friday afternoon, and then Gloucester play Toulouse at seven forty-five on Friday <laughs> evening. So I can, on that day, I can I yeah. can be in two places. I suppose you, at li- you, live, you live more this side of Cheltenham, so actually it's quite legit good for you to go from the race course to the to the rugby club. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's funny because with the races, we've got no flexibility whatsoever with 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 race times and and days and schedules. It's all set in stone for years in advance. Um, whereas with the rugby, we do have a bit of flexibility. If we want to move a fixture from a Saturday afternoon to a Friday evening, we can do that, providing mm. BT Sports aren't televising our particular games. So we have got a bit of flexibility. To, to That's the home team always has that. The home right, team, yeah. yeah, yeah. The home team gets that flexibility, and you can Some clubs play all their games on a Friday night, for example, mm. um, unless BT say no, we we're not, we don't want to film on Friday night. You have to play on Saturday or Sunday, in which case they have to move it. But racing is more fixed because of the British Horse Racing Authority is that. The, yeah, I mean, and the, the race planning and the, and, the, and the racing fixtures are set in stone, and 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 the TV people have the the times. You know, you could probably work out when the Cheltenham Festival is in twenty twenty three if you wanted to really consult your diary and, yeah. and check that out. Yeah. Probably are people doing that? To yeah, be fair, yeah, though, aren't yeah, they? The yeah, way we talked are. about how they come and camp for a, a week at yeah, a time in, yeah. in Cheltenham in March for the the horse yeah. racing festival. How does it compare and contrast? The role, the roles. Obviously, you, I believe your, your title is chairman of both. But is it is it a different role in each in terms of your, your involvement in the in these sort of organisation? Well, I know it's similar, really. I mean, at the, the end of the day, they're, they're very compatible businesses. They're 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 both in the entertainment industry. Mm. So you know, both both they're both sport obviously, and they're both about providing an excellent day out. Uh, and value for money for, for fans, whether you're a, a, a rugby fan or a national hunt racing fan or just a sports fan or just a family who enjoys a day out. It's it's a similar similar type of business, but there are obviously uh, you know significant differences 
in between the two, but I mean, broadly, yeah. they are complementary. Yeah. And, and with the, the Cheltenham Racecourse, is it, is it dealing with trainers a lot and things like that? Is it what's the, the day-to-day in terms of the significant partners? Yeah, not, I mean, trainers are obviously a key... A key uh, are they, are they are they clients or are they part of the industry? I don't know mm. how they discuss themselves, but certainly trainers, owners are very important. We've got to look after them. Uh, our sponsors, we've got to look after our sponsors. We have many thousands of annual members and we have to look after them. We have box holders who spend a lot of money on just to, to rent an annual box and they are, quite rightly, pretty demanding because they pay good money and they want the very best food and the right wines and everything else. <laughs> um and the, and the general public, again, who we have to make sure they come in, they have a very good day, they can get a, a, a drink at the right price, they can get to the loos, they can get their car parts and get home safely. So there's a wide cross-section of, uh, of people you've got to look after. There's the, the media, of course. Who also is, it, is it more of a diverse crowd in that way, the racing crowd, than the, perhaps the rugby crowd? Is it is it more consistent type of client in, in the rugby? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, the, the, the rugby crowd tends to be more consistent insofar as you know, the, the average gate at King's Home across the season is about 14,000 mm. people. And, and those 14,000 are broadly the same 14,000 that come to every game. Um, it does obviously changes, and over the course of the season, there'll be you know, a number of different people there. Whereas racing is, is much more diverse. So on some of the smaller meetings, it'll be predominantly Cotswold, Gloucestershire type folk who will come to those meetings. But of course, once you get to the festival in March, you've got 70,000 people there. And they, I mean, they come from all over the world. Thousands from yeah. Ireland in particular. Actually. Yeah, there's 20 or 30,000 from Ireland. There's people who come from Australia. It's, it's, it can be a pilgrimage of a lifetime for some people. So very different crowd uh, at the racing, particularly for the big, big fixtures. And for you, your, your background in sport as well, you, I understand from uh, reading Gloucestershire Live interview with you that you, you played rugby at school in, in Yorkshire. Was, and what, what position did you play? Uh, I played in the back row. I played number eight. I, I, I don't think we should spend too long talking about my rugby <laughs> career. It wasn't a particular... But that must be where it germinated for you, is it? Uh, yeah, the, the no, I love the rugby. I played for the school and then I played at Durham University for three years and thoroughly enjoyed that. But I, I uh, was a... a, a uh, enthusiastic amateur, let's put it that way. It's a tough position to play, though, isn't it? Number eight and flanker is kind of uh, yeah, all I think, action. I think it was easier in those days, uh, <laughs> whereas nowadays it looks pretty brutal. I'm not sure I'd have fancied it anymore these days. There's some, some big lads out there. Yeah, what have you made of that evolution of professional rugby? Because it happened when I was at school, actually. And I remember it was very much a different body type for each position, and it probably still is to a certain extent. But as you say, the professionalisation of rugby, the emphasis has quite often been on the physicality. It seems to be the, the, the biggest mark change in it since the, the dawning of the professional era in, what, 96? Yeah, I think, the, I, think, I think there is still very much physical body shapes for different positions. But what, what has happened, of course, is that in every single position is 20 or 30 kgs heavier than it was yeah. when, when, <laughs> in the amateur days. So... Um, the, 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 you can tell looking at a player probably what position he's playing but they're still all very big yeah they definitely are they're massive aren't they yeah. and it's interesting that evolution of, um, of rugby but your evolution from, from going to Durham University and then into business and I've always wondered part of the reason I started the podcast is what we get the values we get from sport how it informs other aspects of life did sporting background help you at all I know that was a big part of the the, the hope around sort of rugby and football in the 19th century was that it would, it, it would make good young men. Did it, did it help you in, in terms of your business career? Um, no, I'm not sure it did really. I think it's probably the other way around in some ways. I, I, I always loved sport, but I, only ever, I was only ever interested in sport as either a spectator going to watch rugby or going to watch horse racing or going to watch football. Hmm. Um, 
and I, I used to love playing the game, but only to a, a modest standard. I used to, you know, played all sports as I as best I could at school. But I never really, I don't think I took any of those sporting experiences particularly into business. I, I, I probably see it the other way around, really, where I had a business career and then tried to yeah. use the, anything I'd learnt in business, such as it was, to to try and improve sporting brands. Yeah, that's interesting. But I understand you've also helped sports people get into business. Have they been valuable assets in terms of things that they bring, I suppose, teamwork and, and leadership? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's important. I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous number of people in racing who, who, who once their careers are over, typically as jockeys or as occasionally you'll get stable lads or transport people who, who want to move and develop a career outside of racing in business. And, and certainly in, 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 in rugby, a lot, a lot of the ex-players... Um, do look to for a business career post their playing days, whether it's within rugby, mm. in media, or coaching, or, you know, or on the commercial side of the sport, or or out with rugby. But it, it's a, it's an area that I like very much, and I try very hard to help any uh, current or recently ex players to help with their career development. I think it's very important. And do you find that they bring valuable attributes to to business? Yes, they do. I mean, typically these. You know, those people have been used to a, a, a disciplined environment. They're usually very easy to coach because they've been coached for, <laughs> since they were 10 or 12 years old. They're usually very flexible. Um, they've got a good work ethic. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy working with ex-sportsmen. You always think that to make it to an elite level of sport, you have to be comfortable with sort of micro failures and development, don't you? To, be, to become polished, I suppose. And presumably that's part of being a, a business person is that you have to deal with, with setbacks as part of the longer, longer goal. Yeah, if you if you if you if you give up at the first few failures in business, then you you're not going to be in business very long. And, and same with sports people. You know, even the most decorated sportsmen today will will all tell you about how they were dropped from the team when they were <laughs> younger, or they were told they were never going to make it, or they were too big or too slow, or you know, they've all got their stories to tell, and, and those stories are true. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting that, isn't it? And um, a certain amount of persistence. It's just, I guess, channeling people into the, into that next role and, and and kind of guiding them through. And it's interesting they are receptive to coaching in that way. What's the difference when you've got a regular business, uh, a non-sporting business, and then becoming, say, chairman of Gloucester Rugby? Because presumably your customers, your clientele, are a little bit more emotionally involved than it would be a, a traditional sort of non-sport company. Yeah, I think. I mean, the, the the basic principles are still the same. You've got to make sure that your your revenues exceed your expenditure, otherwise you're going to go, go out of business yeah. fairly quickly. But the the thing is with a, a rugby club or a racecourse is particularly with a rugby club is you've got every single decision you make is open to uh, widespread scrutiny. So if you're running a small private business, you just recruit somebody or, yeah. you know, you might change a supplier or you <laughs> might export something or you might open a branch overseas. Or, and it's your decision or it's your board's decision. Four or five people sit around a table, make that decision and you get on with it. Whereas with rugby and, and to some extent racing, if you decide to make a change, then you've got, you know, probably, you know, there's... there's Fifteen or 16,000 people coming to the next home game have also got a very strong opinion <laughs> yeah. about that decision, plus another 100,000 yeah, sat at home. I was thinking if you sell a dishwasher to someone, they're not going to be bothered about who you're hiring to, to work in your head office, are they? It's a different thing, whereas, whereas sports people most irrationally are emotionally involved, but it fuels the whole the whole business. It gives me a job at Sky Sports. Mm. I mean, it's that that emotional passion and commitment that, that keeps the whole professional sport afloat, I suppose. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all about opinions, isn't it? And, and whatever you do, you're only going to please two-thirds of the people at any one time but you've just got to make sure that it's it is two thirds and not one yeah. third otherwise you 
You do have financial regulations in, in rugby in, in general. Does that help in a sense? Because in football, we've seen Berry go to the wall, unfortunately, this, this year in very tragic circumstances, mm. the football club. Um, because it is such a, in maybe difference with, with businesses, there's such competition to it if you're going to, to ultimately get the succeed and the glory of winning a league or winning a, a competition that perhaps companies, football clubs can overstretch. Is, is that safer environment, do you feel, rugby generally? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think the, the great thing about uh, rugby union in this country is the salary cap, which mm. is, is is basically the 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 one measure that's in place to try and give everybody a reasonably even playing field. And and I think that you'll see that you see it every season, but you'll see it particularly this season where all the clubs, because of the salary cap, and most of the clubs are paying up to that cap, are very evenly matched. And so. You know, you had the game last Friday night where Bristol, who two years ago were in the championship, there they are, you know, actually beating Bath very easily. You know, it's got yeah. seven tries to, you know, I think Bath's got once to deal twice. You know, it was a few years ago, you know, Bristol versus Bath would have been a bit of a non-event. Bath would have won easily. Whereas now, you know, you saw London Irish, they won, they won at Wasps at the weekend. And again, last season, London Irish were down in the championship. Uh, two years ago, Wasps were in the final of the, of the Aviva the grand final at Twickenham and, and here we are London Irish beating Wasps at Wasps and so mm. the league's very very equal and any team can beat any other team and that's principally down to the salary cap which makes it a fairly level playing field Yeah, do you sometimes wince when you hear the sort of percentages that football clubs pay of their turnover in salaries? Do you feel that's precarious? Yeah, I think it's, it's just wrong I mean, I, you know I don't think any I don't think anybody uh, earning, I don't think it does anybody any favours earning those telephone numbers every week. I, I just don't think it's a healthy environment for, for the necessarily for the player or for his agent or for the mm. fans or for the sport. So, you know, rugby's has got some well-paid players, but they're not they're not paid a, you know, an amount of money that's just changes their whole perception of life. Yeah, particularly yeah. younger players, I think, which has been a concern in football yeah. is in terms yeah. of achieving potential. You mentioned the yeah. micro failures that perhaps when you give someone no need to, to, to earn money when they're at 17, 18, before they've actually reached senior level, mm. that that can be a demotivating effect and affect their ability to, to fully develop. Yeah, I think it can. I think it can affect your, your whole attitude to life and, and your whole social responsibility. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a problem. It doesn't, affect, it doesn't affect rugby and it doesn't affect racing much. Yeah, it doesn't affect Cheltenham Town in this part of the world because it's an interesting cultural yeah. anomaly, isn't it? You're obviously... Living in this in this area, I know you, you get get all over the country, including London for business. But you've got your you've got your Cheltenham Racecourse, and you've got Gloucester, and you've got the middle poor old Cheltenham Town Football Club, who I know a lot of people from. But yeah. it's a strange part of the country, isn't it? That that sort of anomaly to to the rest of England. It's it's very much rugby country and, and racing country. It is. It is. Um, you know, most of the country is is football orientated. Um, this part of the world isn't, and that suits me fine. I um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wish I. Like Cheltenham Town, I hope they do well, and I look out for their results, and occasionally go down to. You're not a Leeds. Stadium. You're not a Leeds fan, right? Football fan, are you? I'm anything? Not a Yorkshire. Fan. I'm Yorkshire not. Guy. I, was, I was. Whole City's my team. Oh, okay, yeah. And I did serve on the board there for about six or seven years in the 1980s, quite a long time ago, and I before, loved it before the Premier League. Yeah, before, the Premier, League, before yeah. the Premier League. But I, when I moved down south, I couldn't. You, if you're a director of a football club, you've got to go to all the games, and it was impossible for me to go to any any of the home games once I'd moved. Down south, so reluctantly I had to resign, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Hull City. Yeah, that's interesting. What were the difference? Were there any differences in the ferocity of the fans compared to or Gloucester? Because they're a very particularly passionate rugby crowd at Gloucester, aren't they? Yeah, football crowds and rugby crowds are different. Um, 
and you know the Gloucester fans are absolutely outstanding. I don't think there's a, a finer set of rugby fans anywhere. They are very, very passionate. They get very upset if we lose, and so do I. Um, and they love this side to play an attractive brand of rugby and, 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 and do well. They're very, very loyal. Um, and they'll turn up in terrible weather and terrible mm. conditions and support the team. They are really fantastic. And, and really, at the end of the day, the club is all about the fans. Um, football fans are, are different, but they're, 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 they're still loyal and they want, their, they want their team to win, but they're probably not as loyal. A couple of bad results in football <laughs> and they all want to sack their board and sack their manager. And yeah, sack do, you feel, do, you feel there's more, do you feel there's more patience for the, the manager, in particular the head coach of a rugby club? Yeah, much more. I mean, I think that's... Yeah, I think that's well known. I mean, you know, it would be very unusual for a, a, a rugby crowd to start chanting sack the coach and sack the board and some of the football, some of the chants you hear at football grounds aren't terribly mm. enlightening. So uh, certainly the rugby fans are, uh, they're, they're demanding and they want the team to do well and they want the good players to, to stay with the club and they want us to sign good players, but they are... They are, yeah, they've got more patience than the, the average soccer crowd who, as you say, two or three bad results and they want to yeah. re- replace everybody. But it's also, I think it reflects as well the emotional impact of, of some of those games on the on the fans. It's interesting today because uh, my brothers and I are all Manchester United fans through my dad who's mm. family hails from, from Salford in the northwest originally. But he, um, it, one of my brothers is younger, he's only 31, 32, actually one's 27 as well. But they're lamenting the current state of play at Manchester United because I don't think they actually remember pre-93 when they won the mm. Premier League title. Mm. It's actually sort of causing them a brother said he's reading something about the, the the power of now and mental attitudes and not letting it external this is a he's a general practitioner doctor by the way so it's like he's he's uh, he's quite an educated guy but he's reading this stuff about emotional kind of um, control because he said the results have been affecting his mood and he's got two little kids as well it's quite funny but you think that, that is a sort of thing I watched the Sunderland Until I Die documentary and you think mm. people are saying oh I'm not going to speak to my family all weekend now we've mm. lost and do you, do you sometimes wonder about that that sort of emotional impact on the on the fans sometimes it doesn't always seem healthy yeah I mean I, you know the teams is, it, it is a it is a it's a big thing I mean if we if, if if Gloucester win on a Friday night or a Saturday, then you know you, you do have a great weekend. If they if, if they lose, I've got to be honest. I mean, I try yeah. and rise above it, but it just isn't isn't a great weekend. So, you know, you try and dust yourself down and look forward to to the, to the following weekend. Especially the away trips as well. I know you've got the great atmosphere at Kingsholm, but um, you went away to to sail in Manchester and got a two point win, which you said almost that must have been a, a jolt of enthusiasm when the when the final hooter went. Yeah, well, especially when the final hooter when the final whistle went when the when the the sale guy hit the post with his final <laughs> kick, which would have won the game for sale, which would have been hard to take. Um, the away trips are tough because you know, it's very difficult to win on the road in rugby rugby union. If you look at the, the stats, um, mm. the, the home team seems to not quite understand why, because the pitch is always the same size and the ball's the same. But The psychology of... Yeah, I think the home fans make a big difference and they can influence the refs. And the, It's a big momentum game, rugby. So if you just get the crowd behind you and the ref gives you a few sort of borderline penalties and all of a sudden home advantage seems to be enormous so travelling to the away trips is 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 pretty tough going sometimes if you've got beaten it's a long long old journey home but you know it's You've got to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, have I think people love they live they live for that hope, don't they? Yeah. In, the, in the excitement afterwards. Yeah. Um, how do you sort of, when you're in the position of I presume a rugby co- obviously club, you've got a coach who who you're overseeing. How do you assess coaches' performances? Because people say it's results driven, but presumably there has to be more nuance to that, and it's performance and 
and, and signaling it whether performances are, are improving or, or whatever because I think sometimes there can be as you mentioned football knee-jerk reactions to results when you look at it and there's been a couple of bad results that have been you know someone's hit the post and mm. someone else has deflected a shot in and the teams the other teams won but actually there have been signs that perhaps the team's playing better than the results suggest yeah I think I think I mean the, at the end of the day the results are pretty well everything you, you know you'd be silly not to not to admit that really I mean if, 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 if the coaching's going well you get a strong strong morale in the dressing room the players are enjoying it mm. good players want to come and play for you because all of them make they all talk to each other these players and the Gloucester players will say to other players at other clubs no, you, if you get the chance when your contract finishes come and talk to us it's a great club we've got great training facilities we've got great fans King's Elm's a quality place and the, and the trainers are good so it, it's all it all if it's working, you just know it's working. Equally, when it's not working, you know, one or two good players come in and say, look, I want to leave, I want to go and play for another club, I'm not enjoying it here, I don't like the training setup, I don't like the coach. And you soon realise that there's a problem with your coaching staff if you know, the players kind of tell you. But not, mm. in a, not in a, they don't, you don't have player power where they're not going to turn no, up on a Saturday. Body, body language. Yeah, and, you yeah. just kind of get the, get the gist, the, the, the training regime. We've had that at Gloucester, you know, last couple of regimes didn't work well and it was fairly clear, so we had to change them. Yeah. We're very lucky now. We've got an extremely talented head coach in Jan Ackerman and, and some very good coaches around him and, and a very strong director of rugby, David Humphrey. So, you know, we're very lucky, but if you coached us too well, then the next thing you know, the, the national unions are knocking on his door wanting him to go and coach South Africa <laughs> or something. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, they're doing quite well at the moment at the World Cup, but we'll see what happens against uh, against Wales. Have you watched the World Cup? You yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I watched it pretty well every game. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Quite uh, quite convenient in the sense in the morning you can get up and watch a game. Yeah, the times are good. They, uh, yeah, the sort of nine, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, yeah, it works very well. So more games this Saturday and Sunday and then obviously, hopefully a big one a week on Saturday. So, yeah. What's your pick then as an English do you think they get past New Zealand? Um, I don't know. I assume New Zealand will start slight favourites, but I do think uh, I think both both teams last weekend, New Zealand and and England, both played some fantastic attacking rugby. Yeah, They're, both of their defences are uh, very high standard. Um, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be down to the odd. You know, we saw one game decided by a red card at the weekend. Hopefully, this one won't be decided. But it could easily be decided by a yellow. Um, and yeah, it just be the odd refereeing decision, the odd penalty one way and the other way. I think for the first time in a long time, England could beat the All Blacks. I don't think I've said that for a while. Mm. Um, I couldn't, wouldn't be surprised if England won at all. But equally, you know, could he see the All Blacks winning as well. So. It's concerning of your level with the All Blacks in the last sort of 20, 25 minutes, isn't it? I think they've got a record of pulling away yeah. from that point, I think. You have to sort of yeah, put them in their place before that, potentially. Yeah, and, and England, in all fairness, over the last two, three years, England haven't been great with 25 minutes to go, even when they've been leading. Mm. Um, England have managed to squander some fairly big winning margins and either scrape, either finish up with a draw against Scotland famously it took them last year or just scrape home by a point or two so I don't think any English fan will be able to uh, relax until the final whistle's gone on Saturday that's for sure <laughs> That relationship in Wales as well playing at the weekend a relatively small population and a big love of rugby union but the New Zealand cultural thing is phenomenal I've never been to New Zealand but I speak to people like Jimmy Gemmell at Sky who's mm. one of the rugby presenters and son of an all black and just that he says that it is the kin to football here there's a rugby pitch on every every corner and the fact that you know a country that can dominate the world in in a sport with such a relatively small population is it's quite incredible isn't it yeah it's fantastic i mean and wales are also a good example of that because they you know it's a religion in wales as well they haven't got a huge population but they produce some absolutely outstanding rugby players and have done for generations so yeah. 
Uh, Wales should be very, very proud of what they've achieved, you know, for a long, long time. But this is a real high, high moment for them if they could. They might think after scraping past France, they yeah, they weren't chance, very they? good at the weekend. But if you sometimes you have a bad game in a tournament, and if you can scrape through the game where you play poorly, it can sometimes be a something that's not always terminal. So they they could beat South Africa, and yeah, yeah. It could be a. The Northern Hemisphere final, which should be yep. first time ever. So yeah, you have to show a bit, show a bit of courage, a bit yeah. of nerve. You have to show a bit of courage and nerve in business, which, which fascinates me as well. You said being comfortable with failure, but I believe you've bought and sold something like seventy companies. What do you look for in a, in a company? Is it an idea or is it people? What's your assessment of of what what would work potentially? Uh, it's it's probably those two things, but not in that order. I, I've always thought that people were more important than the product or the idea. Mm. So I've supported businesses which had the fairly feeble product lines to be honest and <laughs> not the greatest ideas but they had very dedicated people who really wanted to do well and they succeed and I've equally bought businesses that had a sensational product um, or a great idea but they were run by uh, not the best difficult, people and, difficult characters and they, and they invariably fail yeah. well, that's an interesting thing because you mentioned that with the, the, with the rugby club that issue of the players not being happy not getting on with, with work is that something you look for is it that's what, I guess it's emotional intelligence, how people work together. Is that integral to, to business? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean, just because a business has got poor management doesn't mean you wouldn't necessarily buy it. You, you know, it might be performing poorly and you might seize an opportunity to buy a business which is poorly run, but you've, what you've got to do is be determined to change the management lock, stock yeah. and barrel. So um, you wouldn't only ever buy businesses that are run fantastically well by a great management team because they t- tend to be either not for sale or at a very high price. Too expensive, yeah. yeah. So sometimes you buy businesses that have got a weak management team, but as long as you know what you're doing and you're prepared to, you've got the right people to put in there, then they're perfectly good businesses to buy. That's a parallel, is it? The, cult, the, the importance of the culture, you think, for in a sports club and a, a business is, is just the sense of, of, I guess, emotional well-being of the staff that everyone's pulling together and, and feels happy to be there yeah and, and Cheltenham Racecourse is a good example of that you know we've got a fantastic management team there that have been together for a long time they love working together they love uh, national hunt racing they're very proud of what they've achieved uh, Cheltenham really is the Olympics of of national hunt racing uh, and we, have, we do have a very strong team there who, who know their job get on with it and they respect each other and it's a good example of how how the sum of the parts is, 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 mm. is greater than the individual's and, and racing is a fascinating sport as well, isn't it? Because people sometimes fail to consider it when they start to evaluate Britain's main sports. But then you look at it in the aggregate we were talking about of gates throughout the year, the amount of events every year that on Sky Sports News, if I do an early shift, where we've got usually three or four race cards mm. coming up that day, possibly possibly more. You know, where, does, where do you think there's a huge, I guess, core of, of race lovers in this country, aren't there? It's a big, big community. It is. It's, it's got a very wide following. Um, and, you know, we've got, we've got a response responsibility to safeguard you know what's good about all the things that are good about horse racing mm. um, the flat and national hunt are complementary but different different challenges at each and different opportunities at each um, so yeah I think it's it, it does have a very wide following you know nearly every everybody has a bet on the Grand National <laughs> and has a flutter on the derby is there more, more predictability in flat though is that is the people who like a bit of, of jeopardy and uncertainty prefer the, the jumps maybe yeah I mean I think it I think it's yeah, it's it's a diff- it is a different. It's maybe it's a bit particularly if the ground doesn't change dramatically. If you're racing on fairly consistent ground, then I think you know the favourites tend to oblige on the flat with with regularity, much to the bookmakers' dismay. But <laughs> the punters like that. Yeah. Um, national hunt racing, by definition, is is a little bit less predictable because you've got to 
Jump, the jump, jump round as well as you talk about bookmakers. I didn't realise how much market interest from punters there is in the in the ground, and you can bet on what ground it, what the weather's going to be like. And so apparently around Cheltenham time, people are looking at it and saying, "Is it going to be you know soft or good to soft?" And there's a lot of bets placed on. on there that. are, there are. I think if you bet good to soft at Cheltenham, you're in. You're, you, you, you wouldn't do too. You wouldn't go too far wrong. We've got an outstanding. Uh, Clark of the course there, Simon Clace, who nearly always produces good to soft yeah. ground, no matter what the weather gods throw at him. But uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he and his team are very, very good people, and uh, they nearly always get the ground to be good to soft. So if, I, if you were in, in advising your listeners whatsoever bet on on the ground, then good to soft would be my tip. Part of the magic of, of that week is, yeah, is um, I think David Craig from Sky Sports News always goes out onto the uh, course with Simon to test yeah, it yeah. in the morning and does the, the course, and it's yeah. a lot of interest. But it's, it's a magical week because it's around the time of Six Nations, isn't it, where we're coming out mm. from winter to, mm. to spring, and, and you get some freezing cold days, possibly a bit of snow, mm. and then you get mm. some of that spring sunshine as well. So there's a real, I guess, optimism in the air that week. It's a fun, a fun time. Yeah, last year we were a bit unlucky. We had well, two years ago we had a very wet festival, and we thought that was going to be the wettest one on living memory. And then this year, twenty nineteen, it was even wetter. Wow! And extremely windy. If you probably remember, we, we were very yeah. close to having to abandon on the Wednesday due to winds over forty five miles an hour. I That's think, true. Over. Yeah. And the insurance companies just won't ensure the, the the safety of the public once the winds get over that speed. So, with all those temporary marquees and goodness knows what, we wouldn't have had any choice but to abandon. But fortunately, the winds uh, weren't quite as strong as predicted, so we were able to race. But it's always a a very testing time. The management team at Cheltenham are are very nervous for those couple <laughs> of weeks of March. They they've worked all year for that, and it's uh, uh they're yeah. Uh, it's difficult tempers are a little bit yeah. fray shall we say leading up we have to stay calm and <laughs> try and get everybody uh, focused but it can be a, a, a time of a lot of tension yeah, yeah. you'd be tension a little bit you're trying to because of some reports come out sometimes of unruly behavior because people can sometimes uh, imbibe quite a lot of alcohol that week can't they so it's a, i guess it's a case of everyone having fun but just managing themselves a little bit yeah we've introduced various things you know limiting the amount of drinks you can order at one go at the bar but but typically we've, we the, the behavior has been has been extremely good at Cheltenham. I think some of the summer fixtures have had uh, one or two issues where you know get a very hot day mm. uh, and and you know long sort of you know long uh, people start early in the day and and by sort of early evening things can get a bit get a bit out of hand. But we, we we've been fortunate at Cheltenham. We do have a lot of security, a lot of a lot of uh, people on the ground to make sure there's no nothing untoward. But uh, yeah, we've got to keep an eye on that. And you've done, just to sort of summarise the conversation, you've done really well in business. What prompts you to want to be involved, to devote your time and your energy to, to sport? Is it a feeling that it, that it just contributes to, to the community? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, in a funny way, although I, I always loved business, but I never particularly loved the industries I was in. I was in office equipment and telecommunications, and there's a, quite hard businesses to love. I mean, I didn't dislike mm. them, but it, it, nobody what, functional. Believe, yeah, nobody would believe if you said you were, you know, really found it, <laughs> you know, telephone fascinating. But uh, <laughs> but I always found yeah. sport absolutely fascinating. So when I was able to not retire, but when I was able to stop doing a full time chief executive role about ten years ago, I deliberately made the decision to to get more involved in sports so it was a I love all sports but racing and rugby happened to be my you know my two premier passions and so I was very fortunate living in this part of the world that I was able to get involved at Gloucester and then more recently be asked to chair 
Cheltenham Racecourse. You can make a lot of people happy through it, can't you, as well, I think, which is compared to like, maybe, like you say, selling office equipment, as much as people do like a, particularly like a smartphone now, but I suppose yeah. you know, office equipment like a photocopier, kind of, some people appreciate it, but it's not, yeah, it's not, I mean, not I, spreading yeah, joy. You can make people, you can also, you can also <laughs> annoy people in sport, of course, if you yes. make some poor decisions. Uh, there's plenty of people out there who are quick to, to quite rightly criticise if you get things wrong. Um, so you've got to, you know, you've got to be very conscious of that you're making the right decisions and, and know, know your audience because, you know, as I say, on a busy day, King's End will be sixteen or 17,000 in the ground and another hundred or 200,000 people listening or watching or reading. And at Cheltenham, as I said, on Girl Cup Day, there's 70,000 people in the place and another numerous millions reading yeah. and watching and taking it all in. And So it's, you've got a lot of responsibility to, to you know, make sure these... Uh, sports are well run and uh, providing good value and, and good entertainment. Feels like the festival's growing as well, doesn't it? From you've had the new stand a few years now, which is an impressive, impressive um, venue, and it, it seems to be that the the interest every year. I don't know whether I'm more aware of it, but that other people are talking about it, and from different walks of life, I wouldn't associate normally with with racing. Yeah, Cheltenham's on, on a great trajectory. I mean, the, the crowds are going up despite last year, this year, 2019, despite the terrible weather, really, we still had all-time record crowds, I think, on every single day. So obviously across the four days, it was an absolutely an all-time record. And annual membership numbers, which we always think is a good barometer of the popularity, are again at an all-time high this year. I think we've actually stopped selling annual memberships because we've don't feel as though we can accommodate any more and, and all the boxes are sold at, at, at Cheltenham and at Kingsham in all honesty so yeah the, 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 we're in, I think we're in a good place we're, we're, we're comfortable sales for the festival are already you know ahead of where they should be in budget and uh, no we're, we're very we're very happy oh, great stuff well Martin I know you're a busy man any thoughts finally on um, on the value of sport in life what it what it gives us because I you know got to my 30s and thinking why am I still obsessed with this with this yeah. thing I'm not a schoolboy anymore yeah. but it, it you know do we get the, I guess watching mastery in, in flow watching the examples from it the, the value of practice teamwork I'm not sure it's the it's just entertainment what do you think yeah, it's just, it's just so inspirational, isn't it, to see see either an individual or a team just excelling at something, and and I just love it. And see young people coming into the game, and you saw Brownie Frost at the, at the festival last year achieving something that you know has not been achieved before. Grade one winner, female jockey riding. You know, I'm just every day you can open the newspapers and see amazingly inspirational stories of of, of you know, sportsmen and sportswomen who've just achieved. Unbelievable, unbelievable feats. And a fun last one I should ask because uh, any tips for entrepreneurs or anyone starting a business? Is there anything not take on too much debt? What's the, the best the best piece of advice? Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, don't take on too much debt, but money's cheap at the moment, so you, you can take on some debt, but I wouldn't, don't take on too much. Um, now, hopefully, it might have come across from one of your earlier questions. I, I would uh, concentrate on, on the people aspect and make sure you surround yourself with good people and back good, honest, hard-working people. Mm, comes from experience, doesn't it, of knowing people and interacting, I suppose? Yeah, I think it does. But at the end of the day, most of these, most of the successful businesses are run by, are run by people who, who do want to work hard, who are honest, who look after their customers, who look after their own staff. And those are the ones that usually come to the top of the pile. 
Great stuff. Thank you, Martin. That's fantastic advice, guys. I hope you appreciate that. A little bit of sport, a little bit of life and lots of business advice in there as well. Martin St. Quinton, uh, chairman of Gloucester Rugby Club in the West Country in England and also the Cheltenham Race course there. Some uh, fantastic insight. If you like the podcast, thank you for listening. Appreciate you rating it on iTunes and please uh, check us out on social media as well. Ed Draper, 81 on Twitter is my main port of call. Thank you, guys.